Good morning, I'm Gianna, I'm the associate here. Daniel Jorgensen, I'm sorry, hey, good to see you. I'm surprised to see you, he's from our church in LA. I'm super happy you're here. Sorry to embarrass you like that. Hey, I'm Jana. Uh, I'm the associate here, shocked in the moment. Um, and I wanna welcome you, especially if you're joining us here for the very first time, we're super ha happy to have you with us. About five years ago, when my kids were a little bit younger, they were three, four, and five, I remember picking them up from daycare and heading to the grocery store. And in my extensive experience in this area, multiple young children and the grocery store are always a bad idea. And so I got to the grocery store and I put everyone in the cart and one of my daughters really wanted to walk. She did not want to ride in the cart. So she proceeded to sit on the edge of the cart and prop her feet up on the other side of the cart, ensuring that she would definitely fall. So I said, look, you have to stay in the cart. Like today's not a good day to not be in the cart. And you also like cannot sit on the edge of the cart. Please just sit in the cart. We'll just get milk. Like we'll just get milk and we'll leave. And she looked at me with a very straight face and furled her brow and said, you're a bad person. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I thought to myself, really like trying very hard to hold back a smile, like that's theologically deep, but I'm your mother and you cannot speak to me that way. Um, and you and I think of ourselves as quite sophisticated and we would never say, that out loud, but if we're honest, we all have our own versions of bad people. People who do bad things, people who kill children, people who hoard wealth, people who fill in the blank. And you have your version and I have my version. And what we have in common is that our versions never include people like us. And if you're newly joining us this morning, we have been working our way through the book of Exodus. And today we're wrapping up our time in Exodus and our exploration of what does it mean for us to become a liberation people, God's liberation people. And what I want to call our attention to this morning is that being a part of God's liberation people, becoming God's liberation people, is knowing the liberator for who he is. Knowing the liberator on his terms, not on our terms. Being in the presence of the liberator. Being connected to and in relationship with him. And if you have been following along in Exodus, God has decisively rescued his people from oppression in Egypt. He parted the Red Sea and brought them into freedom. And he has provided for them daily bread. He has provided water for them to drink in the dry and arid desert. And he has given them instructions for how they are to live as liberated people. And as we heard last week, while their leader Moses is up on the mountain in the very presence of God, they grow impatient. 
And instead of waiting, they make for themselves a God to be present with them in the form of a golden calf, a God on their own terms, a God they create with their own imaginations and form with their own hands. And they take the God of the whole cosmos, the God of freedom and liberation, and they reduce him to a golden calf. They want liberation, but they want it on their own terms. They want the God of liberation to be with them, but they want him to be with them on their own terms. And so in response to this, God commands them to leave Mount Sinai, this sacred place in the wilderness that God has been with them, present with them on and meeting Moses there. And really the whole destination from Egypt through the wilderness is to enter the land of promise so that they could have a home and live in peace. But after what happens at the golden, with the golden calf, God says he will send them into this promised land, but the consequence of their sin against God, their demand that God exist on their own terms is that he will not go with them in the promised land. And so this is where we pick up the story this morning, and this is a very sober moment in this wilderness journey. They are in what the Old Testament professor Walter Brueggemann calls a crisis of presence. They will inherit the land. Their children will live in abundance that God promised them, but they will have to do it without the divine presence of Yahweh. God will not go with them. And this is their consequence, the consequence of their sin against God. Now you and I live in a very different world than these wilderness spiritual ancestors. And we don't love to think or talk too much about sin or the consequences thereof. It's just a golden calf, like what's the big deal? Can't God overlook that? Why can't God just go with them? And we are shaped by uh, whatever works for you, worldview. But that worldview is, in fact, the golden calf, the worldview that God wants God with us, but on our own terms, like whatever works for you. And part of what we are invited into this morning is a reshaping of our imagination of who the liberator is. And it turns out that the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is not a whatever works for you kind of God. And part of what's challenging about receiving a story like this is that you and I have our own versions of what is good and what is just. I have my version of what is good and just, and you have your version of what is good and just. And I can impose that outward on you and on God. And in this worldview, I am the reference point for what is good and just. 
But sin can only be understood as sin when God is understood as God. That God is the one who is good and God is the reference point for all goodness and all justice. And that is why God has the absolute right to make demands and render judgments. And we are accustomed to the kind of reasoning that says, I'm not hurting anybody. It's just a golden calf. It's working for me. Everybody else is doing it. It isn't anybody's business. But the biblical witness reveals to us actually again and again and again that every sinful action and every sinful thought is ultimately directed against God. Our conception of sin, much like our conception of God, is too small until we learn to say with the psalmist, against you, God, only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And in this, the psalmist demonstrates that he's learned to see sin as God sees it. And to know God is to know him as the author of all goodness. And when we know this, then the goodness of God is the only thing that can overcome sin and make right what has been made wrong. The recognition of sin, the coming to understand and know what sin is, is the result, not the means of coming to know God. We know what sin is because we know God is good and God is the reference point for all goodness. And we actually have to clarify this before we can understand why God would say in response to the golden calf, I cannot go with you. The fact that God says to them, I cannot go with you after this grievous sin actually clarifies and defines for us the gravity of their sin against God. And I wonder what it would mean for us to take seriously who God is and how sin separates us from his presence. And I wonder what it would mean for us to pray with the psalmist, create in me a clean heart, oh God, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And so when we enter our reading this morning, we enter this dialogue between God and Moses. And what is at stake in this conversation between God and Moses is whether God will be a God with his people. They have broken their part of the covenant. Is God obligated to keep his part? And so Moses begins the dialogue with the Lord. He says, God, you have told me to bring the people from Sinai, but you've not told me how this is possible. Who will help me? And Moses is edging at the necessity of God's presence to go with them. And Moses reminds God, I have found favor in your sight. Remember, I have found favor in your sight. And he pleads with God, if that's true, then consider that these people are your people. And I want you to notice here that there is this repeating phrase that Moses says. He says, I and your people several times over. Now, Moses isn't a part of this golden calf creation. Moses is up in the mountain. He has not committed this sin against God, but he identifies himself with the people. Remember, I and your people. 
He doesn't say those people have done a bad thing and I have not. And this is a striking move that Moses is making because the people have not been kind to Moses through their wilderness journey. When they were at the Red Sea, they lose faith in him and they blame him for taking them out of Egypt to kill them. When they're out of food, they complain against Moses. When they're out of water, they threaten to stone Moses. But even still, Moses identifies himself with the people and pleads with the Lord to go with them, not for himself, but for the sake of the people. And then God responds to this intercession from Moses and he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. You can rest assure Moses, you will not be alone in leading these people. And then Moses says this remarkable sentence. If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us from here. We don't want to go into the land of promise if you will not go with us. We would rather stay here in the wilderness in this dry and desolate place than go from here without you. If your presence does not go with us, don't carry us up from here. And I wonder what it might mean for us to become the kind of people who can say, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't carry us up from here. What it might mean for us to become the kinds of people who can say, we are uninterested in a life, no matter how abundant it might be, if your presence is not with us. And Moses, in this moment of intercession on behalf of the people, prefigures another. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, Jesus. And he sent him in a form that we could see and not be blinded, in a form that we could hear and not be deafened, there was to come a prophet like Moses. Behold, one greater than Moses is here. And Jesus is the one who was shamed in front of the whole world for us. People who have done what we ought not to have done. People who have left undone what we ought to have done. People who love our own way people who reduce the living God to our own terms. Will God's presence go with us? And Jesus Christ is God's most decisive yes. Yes, yes, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. God is not with us because we are good or just or religious or even because we have sought after him. 
God is with us because he is who he is. And he will be gracious to whom he will be gracious. And he will show mercy to whom he will show mercy. And he is with us because he is God. And it is his nature to show mercy and compassion. And this is all a deep, deep grace. So part of what it means to be a liberation people is to know this God, the only liberator for who he is. After each sermon, we usually stand together and confess our faith. And what do we declare together? Do we stand and say, whatever works for you? No, we stand together and say, we believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So may the living God, the liberator who has come near to us in the person of Jesus Christ confirm this faith in us this morning and always. Amen.